the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Diving stop, Seager. Toss on off the first. In time to get seven. Three-run homer. Robinson can off the lefty specialist, Fernando Abad. And the Mariners lead it five to four. Goodbye, baseball. Leonis Martin with a walk-off. Two-run home run. And the king, when the Mariners needed him the most, two hits over seven. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. All right. Welcome once again to the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Thanks for being here. Mariners fall in game one of the series to the A's. Oakland, well, they do something that teams have not been able to do, and that's get to James Paxton. So the A's get to Paxton, the first team to score off of Paxton this season. They also get to the Mariners' middle relief. They pile on some runs in the middle innings, and they take the first game of this four-game series. Series continues tonight. We'll have a preview of the weekend coming up in a few minutes and the pitching matchups. Jesse Smith is going to be here. Always a fun conversation. Director of Analytics for the Mariners. So we'll dive into the numbers here in a few minutes. And also we'll hear from Mitch Hanniger and some of his hitting philosophies. He is off to a tremendous start his hitting streak, though, snapped last night, but still a great start for Hanniger for the Mariners so far this season. But a game where the Mariners fall 9-6 to to Oakland last night. The A's now pulled a 500. They've won three games in a row. The Mariners, meanwhile, 7-10 and overall, 1-7 and on the road. And as a game you felt pretty good about coming in, especially with how James Paxton has been pitching and he was very good early on, putting a couple of zeros on the board against Oakland. And the Mariners wasting no time getting on the board in the very first inning. 1-0 pitch, swing, and a one-hopper into right field for a base hit. Dyson racing around third. Up with the ball is Decker. The throw home is going to be cut off by the first baseman, Healy. Dyson scores easily from second base on a solid single to right by Robinson Cano. And just like that, the Mariners jump out to a one nothing lead. Yeah, one run in the first inning for the M's. They would get two runs in the second inning. Mike Zanino chipping in with a big double. Now the pitch of the way. Swing and a fly ball deep to left field down the line. And this one is going to be on the track and off the wall. Motter scoring from third. Around to third goes Martin. Zanino in its second. The throw in by Chris Davis is cut off. Mike Zanino with an RBI double. So the Mariners end up with three in the first two innings. A chance for more. There wasn't a double play, so they get three, and then Paxton takes them out in the third, and that's when the scoreless streak comes to an end. Pitch to Rosales, swung on and hit to right field, down the line, that's a fair ball. Scoring is Decker. Davis, who can fly, is coming to third. He'll be held there. Big stops on by Chip Davis. Now they got him hung up. The ball was bobbled on the relay. Now Motter flips to Cano to try to get the runner at second. Meanwhile, Davis comes home and scores. So what a crazy play that was. So the score tied 3-3 into the fifth, and that's when the A's would chase Paxton. The stretch and the pitch, swinging a line drive base hit left field for Healy. Lowry will score from third, and the A's now lead 5-3. Chris Davis down to second. Healy with an RBI single. Yeah, Paxton ends up going four and a third, nine hits, more hits than he'd given up the entire season coming in. Five runs. All earned, one walk, eight punch outs on 91 pitches. Scribner gives up a run, an inning and two-thirds. And Altavilla, in one inning pitched, 
Just wasn't sharp. Two walks, a hit, and three runs against Alta Villa. Marshall picks, uh, pitches one inning of no hit, no run ball. Mariners score one in the ninth, but not enough to come back as Oakland wins 9-6 to six over the M's. Mariners did get two more runs in the sixth inning as Motter going yard once again for the Mariners. He hits a, a two-run home run in the ball game, but not enough as the A's take game one of this series, 9-6. to six. Here's what the skipper said after the ball game about this one. Why was it such a challenge for James tonight? Oh, they put some good at-bats on him. Uh, I think Pax's stuff was probably as good as it has been. He, you know, location and command of the fastball, maybe not quite as good as it has been, but the stuff was certainly there, and he was thrown hard, and you know, he, he had some punch outs, but they had good at bats. You know, they put the bat on the ball. We didn't play particularly a clean game. You know, the two errors and uh, you know the walks later in the game hurt us. You know, with the home run. So, um, you know, I thought we it's going to be a good night for our offense the way we started out. Unfortunately, unfortunately, we just didn't keep it going a whole lot. Should have done a little bit more early, shouldn't you? Yeah, it would have been nice. You know, I had the first and third, uh, the double play ball. You know, uh, after I think we were up three nothing at the time, and. Uh, you know, Motter hit you know, the line drive and hits a home run later. We, we hit some balls, you know, pretty good there, too, early on. And, and then, uh, you know, we got three runs. We probably should have had a little bit more. What's wrong with that Alta Villa? This is like three or four, which just hasn't yeah, been very sharp. It hasn't. It's been, you know, the, the fastball has, has been erratic command-wise and, and lack of commanding the secondary pitch, you know, the slider, uh, which had, we saw really come along, you know, in spring training and early in the season. The first couple outings was pretty good, but fastball command and not having a feel for the slider has really hurt him, and ball's flat. You know, it's not really going down uh, or up. It's, it's right on the barrel, and... Uh, you know, we got to get him back. He's a big part of the bullpen. Those, the guys in the middle are so important in games like tonight. You know, you keep the other team there. Obviously, we like our offense, but, you know, you let it get away like that, and there's nothing you can do. You mentioned the two errors. The one was just kind of bad luck on the break. The ball in the bag, right? Yeah, we got to catch that ball. That ball's thrown into the infield, you know, and, and, and you know, Robbie or, or Taylor Motter being the, tr- the back guy has to come up and catch that ball in the air. Um, it's, it's a bad habit. Sometimes middle infielders get into because their hands are so good, but... I know he just kind of catch that in the air, and the other ball got under Leonis's glove. So, um, careless, you know, and it cost us. You know, they got a couple of runs out of it. Hey, the ball that got over Dyson's head it didn't look like he tracked that right away. Uh, no, I mean, the ball was hit pretty good. Right. Um, it, it was, and Gerard, I don't know if he got a great read off it, but, uh, you know, I give him credit. The ball was hit well. Water is showing us pretty good pop. It's a, it's a long way up it, it is. Yeah, Taylor continues to put good swings on it, and you know he's on the fastball, and um, he's having good at bats for us. And uh, you know we need it. We need everybody to kind of you know step up right now. Um, you know, Oakland's got a good team. I mean, they will battle. Uh, they put bat on the ball. They, you know, their bullpen's pretty good. I mean, they can do some things. So we need to get after it here. And you know, big series, interdivision series. We gotta pick it up a little bit. Is the bottom of the lineup maybe a little silver lining in that they were getting on base tonight pretty consistently? Yeah, you know, Zanino swung the bat a little bit better, the double early, and the good walk, uh, you know, patient walk later on uh, was better. And, you know, Motter's helping out Valencia to ball good. So, you know, hopefully, but, uh, you know, it takes more than, than just a couple guys here or there. It's, it's got to take everybody contributing. Yeah, and the A's a team you don't want to play from behind against because they have a, a pretty good combo at the back end of the bullpen right now with Dole, Doolittle, Madsen, and Casilla. Mariners saw them all last night really going closer by committee, just playing matchups with the three righties and a lefty, and they're good, all four of them. So they were able to close the game down after the Mariners scoring a ton early, just one run after those four entered the ball game in the A's win game one of the series 9-6. to six. Here's James Paxton, his thoughts on the ball game. 
I was just missing over the middle of my fastball a little bit and I uh, wasn't landing good curveballs for strikes, so they just started looking just fastball and I wasn't getting good spots tonight. And the adjustment that gets made in-game to try to correct that, what is that? You know, I was just trying to I try to use my change up there in the uh, in the fourth inning and uh, got some of those over, got some pop-ups. Um, yeah, just you know, just wasn't executing pitches very well. Physically, do you feel okay? Physically, yeah. Physically, I feel good. Um, ready to go in six days in Detroit. Do you guys get any sense of frustration at all? You guys kind of maybe let this one get away? Yeah, you know, we never let. We don't like losing. Um, tonight was a tough game. Um, we just didn't get it done tonight, but uh, we'll come out ready to play tomorrow. So that's James Paxton on the start last night. So the Mariners will get right back to work tonight, game two of the series against the A's, and it's not going to be easy. Sham Manaya, lefty, will take them out for the A's. Stats don't jump out so far. 0-1 with a 5-5-1 ERA, but he is a good young pitcher. His last time out, a very odd start. He went five, didn't give up a hit, but got chased when he walked the bases loaded in the sixth inning. Gave up no hits, but two earned runs against the Astros. So he'll take the mound. Iwakuma will go for the Mariners, 7.05 first pitch, and then day baseball the rest of the series, 105 on Saturday. Miranda against Cotton, that should be a good matchup. Cotton, another one of those good young arms in the A's rotation. And then Sunday, 105 first pitch. Gallardo against Triggs, who has not given up an earned run this season. So A's take game one of the series, and the, the rest of the series, not going to be easy for the Mariners, certainly. So... Uh, we'll see what the Mariners can do against Oakland in Oakland. And then the road trip continues after that next week in Detroit and Cleveland as well. This long, long road trip that lasts until May for the Mariners. We're going to hear from Mitch Henniger in a few minutes. Right now, though, let's talk to Jesse Smith. Well, we get to welcome back Jesse Smith with the Mariners. And first of all, congratulations. You got uh, a promotion in the off season, So, for people that haven't heard our conversations in the past, first of all, tell us what your new job title is, and, and what is it, in a thumbnail, what do you do exactly? Uh, thanks for having me, Gary. Always a pleasure. Uh, so I was promoted to director of analytics uh, from manager of analytics. More or less, the day-to-day is the same, uh, but I guess it's just a little recognition of seniority, and we've accomplished some good things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the day-to-day... It's just like the baseball season. You know, it changes depending on where we're at, spring training, off-season, mid-season. But uh, it's really the job of the analytics department is to service the entire Mariners organization for all of our analytical needs, uh, which day by day seems to be a growing list of uh, (laughs) what we're getting to. Uh, The buy-in is huge right now. So, you know, it's not just the Mariners. I think most fans, you know, have their eyes on the Major League Club. But we have a whole lot of teams, and we have – you know, track man radar feeds uh, for those teams, and even in some of our practice facilities now. Uh, so our group of analysts is basically just fielding day-to-day requests as well as doing larger research projects to sort of change the way we look at things going forward. Are you getting more and more data, or are you using the existing data in more and more ways? Uh, combination of the two for sure. Uh, you know, the StatCast revolution is – is well underway so in that sense you know it's not new this year but since there's a lot more of it we can do more with it and then we're also getting more coverage uh with radar feeds at lower levels more college data some even like radars that are portable so you can take them to practice fields and high school fields and we're trying to make sense of that and 
there's this bat technology, these these devices you install on bats, and there might be things that go in shoes soon. Uh, obviously, you know, the players have to sort of just okay that kind of stuff. Uh, but, but yeah, so it's a combination of the two, really. Well, when you describe that sort of data everywhere, essentially, because I'm amazed that you can pull off the draft as it is. When you think about just this very moment, how many different baseball games are being played in this country, whether it's a high school game, a community college game, a big college game. I mean, when you're talking about that much data, that is, that's a huge amount to sift through. Yeah, it's, it's mind-boggling. You know, certainly, I don't think any, any amount of analysts could pour through everything, every question that we come up with. Every day, I think I write down 10 things to look at, and you know, maybe I get through one-third of one thing per day. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it, it is overwhelming. You know, I think... As it relates, I think you mentioned the draft. Uh, you know, obviously that's a, that's a huge focus. Where we have a lot less data historically, and that's changing. Uh, and you know, honestly, when I started out, that was that was not something that I was knowledgeable about at all. Really, just you know, more of a major league, minor league oriented mm-hmm. guy. But uh, this season, that's definitely something that we're taking a much more precise look at. It's too early in the season to really dive into data from this year but I want to talk about last year a little bit and we talked about this throughout the season last year and the defense and the shifts when you think about last year and think about the defense and the strides that you made how happy were you with how everything turned out defensively in the shifts it was thrilling it was it was so fun and it was you know a complete success uh, from our point of view internally we had ourselves finishing as the best uh, in terms of you know based on where our fielders were and the balls were hit, that we had our guys positioned in the best outcomes to make plays. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think we were also amongst the best in making those plays as well. Uh, You know, some of that is depending on, you know, the fielders that you have out there. Like, for example, the Cubs didn't shift very much, but they have incredibly talented fielders that may have sort of allowed their defense to play up despite not shifting as much. Uh, So I think it was incredibly successful. You know, we're definitely doing more this year. I think you've probably seen the the trapezoid, which we're calling the trap, as a one alignment, and then there's some more subtle alignments we've added as well. Uh, but you know, we're we're always trying to get better with that. How much do you think it helps to have that sort of success, so you can get buy-in on the field with not only the players but the coaching staff as well? Yeah, it it was huge. Uh, last year, getting off to a great start was incredibly important. I, I've I've often wondered what would have happened if the first you know three or four series had been very <laughs> negative, and of course you know that might have meant that the process was flawed as well. But uh, there were moments, even though it was quite successful, I, I think like the the twin series at home last year we got swept. It was it was a rough series, and uh, the shifting went very poorly that series and may have cost us a game or two even. And at that point, you know there was a lot of there were some questions, uh, but the coaching staff stuck with it and uh, we pushed forward, and you know. Uh, you know, at this point, I think there's no looking back. Yeah. Speaking of not looking back, looking forward into the future, I'm curious how much defense will look different or watching baseball on a day-to-day basis. Because you look at it now, especially with, I mean, fly balls are becoming more prevalent. You hear players actually talking about launch angle and trying to get the ball in the air. Are we going to see a time where uh, maybe a second baseman becomes a rover, sometimes a four outfield uh, for outfielder, if you have a fly ball pitcher and, and a fly ball hitter, I mean, where is this going to go, do you think? Yeah, it's a great question. I think, you know, when you look at the Mariners, one great advantage we had last year is that we knew that Robinson Cano, for example, was really, he had an amazing arm and great hands, 
So if we knew that if we put him near the ball, that you know we didn't have to worry about his ability to make a play, regardless of where we put him on the field. So in that sense, you know, and he he became a rover in a lot of ways, yeah. and the captain of the defense certainly, you know, Seager and everyone else was moving around a ton too. But uh, I do think that you know there's there's a balance towards you know in what you can ask your players to do, but with the right player. You know, there's really no reason not to put the players where you think the ball is going to go. Uh, and if that means, you know, moving your left fielder, just switching your left fielder and right fielder on consecutive plays uh-huh. to put your, you know, your Gerard Dyson where you think the ball is going to go, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. The, mm. the four-man outfield, we've talked about that a little bit. I, I think you'd have to see ex- very extreme circumstance in terms of the pitcher, or the batter, and the players that you've got on the field for that to happen, which is why I don't think any team has tried it yet except for maybe some sort of desperation, ninth-inning situation. situation. Yeah. Uh, we, did, we did talk about a two-man outfield with David Ortiz, <laughs> uh, and that was Fenway-related because yeah. you know he rarely goes opposite field, and you know our thought was that he's, he's, he was slow enough that even if he parked one off the monster that – It'd probably just be a double anyway by the time our shortstop or center fielder got out of there. Lo and behold, the very game that we talked about at his first plate appearance, he hits a fly ball to the very base of the monster where our left fielder catches it. Definitely would have been a double. If it, and, of course, we never really seriously considered it, but we did toy with the idea. It was just funny to have it fail so badly. Uh, but, yeah, I, I do think that we will see defensive specialists on the rise. Uh, I think like the market will reflect that as a skill set that people go after. They'll have their defensive captain on the field. You make a great point because Robinson Cano is really unique. I mean, he is a guy that we've seen all over the place, and he has the ability to do that. Not every player has that same ability. I mean, uh, not every player can come to the infield, shift back to the outfield. You have to have, I guess, the right players to go with the scheme. Yeah, and, you know, like no one's going to say that Robinson Cano is going to be the rangiest second baseman, especially as he... Uh, ages, but I, I think a lot of people, you know, there's like, like how long can you know, and not with just with Cano, but with a lot of fielders, how long can they stay at this position? Are we get to move them to first, DH, whatever. Uh, but as we get much more knowledge on, you know, where we think the balls might go, the cert- the skills that are important to defense are changing, and you know, hands, arm uh, are becoming probably more valuable than say range. Yeah. Now, you talk about the skills, too, and you can see it in spring training now. Uh, you can see the Mariners working on framing, for example, working on leads, which is data-driven as well. Uh, it's amazing to see all of what you do end up on the field and uh, skills, skills that they're working on. Yeah, so this spring training, there was a lot of emphasis on both of those things, uh, leads and framing. And I think uh, one thing that uh, the great uh, sabermetrician Bill James, actually I heard him say in a conference this offseason, was that you can divide like the data revolution of sabermetrics into macro and micro sabermetrics. Mm. Uh, macro being like the big ideas that you know, say like just even the concept of shifting that'll influence the game on a large level, talent acquisition, you know, redefining what's important. And then the micro is you know all these little things that can make a huge difference, like you know teaching about framing, getting that that strike, the leadoff, that extra foot that might be a play at the mm. plate, uh, and you know all these things are are critically important when you look at everything going on don't give anything away but what do you think's coming next what are you looking at that uh we as uh, as fans watching the game aren't really thinking about right now i I think that at the major league level 
uh, you know, there's there's been a lot of advances with defense and with pitching understanding in front offices. Uh, but in a lot of ways, I I do think that hitting and like the the skills that really make a good hitter, it's like you know, even looking at say a college hitter or a high school hitter, and what what allows someone to hit elite pitching hmm. remains somewhat of a mystery to the point that you know even really smart organizations that that have talented prospects they don't really know what's going to happen when they bring them up to face the best of the best uh because you can't you can't practice that right. and you you have to come up to the high minors and the major leagues to face those that caliber of player uh so i think there's a lot a lot left to be tapped in understanding what makes a great hitter uh and so forecasting someone at a young age and you know if that's there's there's a lot of sports science stuff coming out that I think maybe that would be one of the areas where we get that sort of you know how fast are people able to perceive like their frames mm. per second their ability to track these things and I've seen some tests measuring these things uh, but you know it's all it's all early in development on that stuff well thanks again for the visit we always appreciate it you're so much fun to talk to and we appreciate the insights thanks again thanks Tom Gary I really don't pay attention to numbers at all for me it's just I have very few goals at the plate. It's swing at pitches I can drive and hit the ball hard. That's those are my two main goals. And if I do those two things, I can live with the results. You know, if I'm if I'm getting out a lot, but I'm swinging at good pitches and I'm hitting the ball hard, I can't control those than any, anything else. So that, that's really what I focus on. The windup and the 0-2 to Hanniger swinging a ground ball on the third base line, fair right over the bag, hits the angle of the seats that jut out. Hanniger heading for second, up with the ball, Correa the throw to Altuve at second, sliding in. Hanniger is safe. He had to hustle to earn his first hit, a double in a Mariner uniform, down the line, right over the back. Hanniger with a double, his first hit as a Mariner. I try to be real focused in my routine. I try to take it very seriously, and, and for me, um, I usually don't just go in there and just kind of get loose and swing and, and try to get a feel for my swing. I'm, I'm trying to drive. when I'm Every pitch I swing at, I'm trying to hit the ball hard and drive, drive it, so it's very similar to what I'm trying to do during an at-bat. And I think the more, for me, the more I focus on that, the better I become. And I think, you know, it's like working with a purpose. Everyone has different routines, and some guys, there's a wide variety of drills and stuff like that that other guys do. For me, it's pretty simple. I just, um, I like to, I do the same thing every day. You know, I do my, like, line drive pro trainer drill with tennis balls, and then I do a little bit of tee and flips, and then I'm ready to go. With two outs to pay off pitch. Swing, hammered high, left field, absolutely destroyed, and this is long gone. Is that all the way out? That is over the ballpark and onto the streets. Mitch Hanniger, his first home run in a Mariners uniform, was destroyed. We are tied at one. I've kind of molded my approach around everything I've learned from tons of different coaches in in professional baseball, if you're in the minor leagues, usually you have a different hitting coach every single season, if not two if you're getting called up or yeah. sent down between seasons. So I've kind of taken pride in trying to be the my best hitting coach mm-hmm. as myself mm-hmm. and trying to learn from each guy. But ultimately, I want to be the one in control of my, my game and my swing and everything. And I think that will you know pay off in the long run. And, and I love talking with Bro and, and um, Edgar. At the same time, I just want to soak in all their information so I can apply it to myself. You know, what they say to me or to someone else might not work, but you can pick and choose and and figure out what works for you best, and I think that's what I've tried to do over the years. The 2-1. Swing and a crack. Right center field. Drop it in. Base hit all the way to the base of the wall. Hanniger rolling into second base. 
And the Mariners get a hit with one out in the bottom of the ninth inning. It's coughed up by Kyle Bearclaw with two outs to go. 12-game hitting streak, Mitch Hanniger. The greatest double of Mitch Hanniger's <laughs> life. In the outfield, it's kind of uh, after a pitch goes by when the catcher catches it and throws it back, I kind of step back from my ready position, and I just just let my mind go. And then I take a deep breath, and when, I'm, when he's in his windup, I take a step in to get ready, and that's when my focus comes back into play. One on, one out, top of the eighth. The stretch and the 0-1 pitch. Swing and a fly ball into right center field and deep. Hanniger going back to the one-e track near the wall. Hanniger leaps up and he makes the catch up against the wall. Holy smokes the throw back to first base. And back in time goes to Shields. Mitch Hanniger into the gap in right center field right in front of the 380 marker. Timing that leap. And I believe he just took a home run away from Joey Gallo. What a catch. What a play by Mitch Hanniger going over the wall. What a catch by Hanniger, and he saves the Mariners two runs. At the same thing with the plate. When the pitch goes by, whether I swing and miss, take it, it's in the dirt. I step out, take a deep breath, and just let my mind wander for a second and then get in the box, and then I'm locked in for that next, you know, five days, seconds. Bases loaded. Here comes the 1-1 to Hanniger. A swing and a crack in the right field. Base hits. Janino coming down the line. He scores the ball game. Ties the ball game. Right behind him, Martin. He scores Danny. The Mariners have taken the lead on a two-run base hit by Mitch Hanniger into right field. Now a 13-game hitting streak for the Mariners rookie. And it's 3-2 to two Mariners. See you later!